Greetings, everyone. Welcome to episode 8 of Canadian Meets the South. Today, I'll be reviewing two books, actually. The sequels to Gods and Generals. That would be... No, th those would be... The Killer Angels by Michael Shara and The Last Full Measure by Jeff Shara, his son. And uh, I think I may have explained this in the previous episode, but uh, The Killer Angels was written in the 1970s, like 1974, and got the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1975. It was to Jeff Shara's um, way of putting it, um, telling history as a novel. And after um, The Killer Angels was adopted in as a movie uh, titled Gettysburg in 1993, Jeff Shara decided to make it a trilogy. It, make a prequel and a sequel um, to The Killer Angels. The prequel, which I reviewed last episode, was Gods and Generals. And it, it was written in 1996 and got an adaptation in 2003. And, but The Last Full Measure, which was written in 1998, did not get... Um, an ad adaptation because of Gods and Generals' poor performance of the movie. So, I'll just talk about my thoughts. This is maybe going to be a little all over the place because it's two books at once, um, written by two authors, even though they are father and son. Um, but I'll try to keep it first about the Killer Angels, and then later about The Last Full Measure. So, what I liked about both books is that they both made several references to Stonewall Jackson, even though he's he's dead for in a, for months in both of them. In The Killer Angels, he's been dead for about two months for the Battle of Gettysburg sometime in 1863 because he uh, died in May 1863 and and they still make uh, the Confederates still make references to him um and he was considered the most talented man under Robert E. Lee but uh, you know, it was when he, when he died, like the clear second in command, the clear right hand man of Robert E. Lee was uh, James Longstreet, um, whose nickname was Pete. He was from South Carolina, and what what I found interesting was that there were. It seemed that Europeans were observing both sides of the war, and one of the one of the men 
one of the European men who was observing the war was Colonel Fremantle, who who was who was with um, uh, Longstreet's division, and Longstreet Longstreet remarked to his um, I think it was his chief of staff Sorel, uh, ridiculous. He, as in Fremantle, Colonel Fremantle, believes that it's all about slavery. And, yeah, that was... And Colonel Fremantle had said that, yeah, this is, uh, this is what we Europeans think the war is about. And, thinking about that time, there was um, a naval blockade the Union had naval blockaded uh, the Confederate States, so they were they were getting desperate. They need they, there was no way to obviously def, to completely crush the Union. They were outnumbered, but they needed to do they needed pressure to pressure the. the Union, they needed to show a decisive win so that Abraham Lincoln would be pressured by the northern people to stop the war. Or at least, um, because what they're hoping for at Gettysburg, they were invading and there was a, a scene at the beginning in which Robert E. Lee <laughs> grabs... In, in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where he grabs the soil and says, I am the invader. Because he's thinking, um, they were the one, uh, the Union was the one, were the ones who who invaded the southern states. And uh, now he's invading Pennsylvania. His goal, obviously, was not to conquer Pennsylvania. It was, it was really to show strength and to to win a decisive battle against the Union. And uh, so that they would, they, so that the Union would stop the war. Um, how, much, how many Union men were going to die? And the Battle of Gettysburg was the bloodiest war. No, the bloodiest battle in the history of America, apparently. No. Uh, the battle was for three days. And obviously like like uh Gazan generals um it shows the perspective of multiple men uh in both the Union and the Confederacy. And um one of the before I get to the Union, I'll talk about Louis Armistead, who was um who was General Winfield Scott Hancock's best friend. And they were positioned together in California. But then Louis, uh, Louis Armistead and General Albert Sidney Johnston from Texas, they decided to, to join the rebellion and to, to his, um, to Winfield Scott Hancock's like um sadness, like 
I can't, I can't think of the word, but but Louis Armistead was was fighting for Virginia, and the last last time, yeah, that they that he meets with with uh, Hancock is on the battlefield of Gettysburg, and well, they don't really meet. He dies, and Louis Armstead charges um, by his last charge was saying, for Virginia! And, yeah, he he dies. He's, he's mortally wounded, and then he asks um, while he, on his, like, while he's dying, he, he sees um, a Union officer and asks what happened to uh, Hancock and he told and the officer tells Armistead that Hancock has been mortally wounded no I mean not mortally wounded and then so Armistead dies not knowing not knowing that Hancock has been wounded but not sure if he's gonna die and it was it was it, it illustrates that the war, since it was, you know, a quote-unquote civil war, Americans fighting each other, you would have um, friends on opposite sides of the war fighting, and also also um, family members, brothers and cousins fighting on the other side of the war. And, and both the Union and the Confederate Army, they talked about how some men were fighting on the opposite side of the war from their brothers and it, it was it's really sad that the war that the war had done that because this isn't a war against uh, another nation or another group, group uh, against like Great Britain or against Mexico these are Americans fighting each other so there's there was a lot of family bloodshed now talking about um, the Union side more, yeah, Han- Je- uh, Hancock was a general, and and at this point, um, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, the professor from Maine, he he wasn't a he wasn't a general yet, and he but he becomes a colonel because the the um, the colonel who leads, I don't know. I think it's the twentieth of Maine. He, uh, dies, so he becomes in command. And he and his brother Tom fight the uh, the 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 battle of Gettysburg, and I think he becomes he he holds the line against the <laughs> the Confederates, and he. Their, their division, or I, I don't remember all the, the types of units. There are whatever a colonel heads, and he it illustrates um his um Chamberlain's relationship with Buster Kilrain, who was even older than than uh than Chamberlain, and believed that he was fighting like a class war because 
Bossier Kilrain was an Irish immigrant. And uh, yeah, he believed he was sticking it to the gentleman or something by fighting that war. So, um, and Buster Kilrain dies, but he, he, well, he, he was wounded in the, the Battle of Gettysburg and then thought, um, Chamberlain, I guess, thought he, he would have lived because they had talked and then they said goodbyes because he, Kilrain went on to go to the hospital and he died in the hospital of his wounds. And, um, he... But um, he was certainly an influence on Chamberlain's life, just thinking about what this war meant. Because Chamberlain believed that this war was about you know, equality. And before the battle, or during the battle, they, they meet this runaway slave who doesn't speak English and then Kilrain guesses that he might have been in America for five weeks and he was he was wounded he was shot apparently by a Pennsylvania woman and Chamberlain in his mind was thinking my god this is what it's all about because from his perspective he's he's from Maine right and there were barely any black people there there were some black people the the blacks in the city took um, kept to themselves and he knew one black man with a, a white wife uh, who lived in on a on a farm in the you know the countryside and Kilrain says I don't know many blacks that I respect that much but uh, there are some that I do respect um at least that's that's Kilrain's position, but it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't highlight how much racism there was in the Union Army. At least, that, I mean, that was just, that was just Chamberlain's perspective. And he believed he was, um, that they were, the war was about slavery. And after, you know, their battle, in which his, he and his brother survive, and his, I think his, his brother becomes... It's promoted all the way to lieutenant in this, and at least in this book. Um, his brother asks one of the captured rebels <laughs> that, uh, um, so you're fighting for slavery, right? And um, the rebel, insi the rebels insisted, no, no, we're fighting for our rats. And Tom tells his older brother I they're fighting for the rats but I mean what they that's what well, at least that's what I first heard but then what they're really fighting for are their rights and then he and Tom said I asked them what rights are they fighting for and they couldn't they couldn't answer but they were sure it wasn't about slavery so it it shows the South didn't believe they were fighting for many southerners didn't believe they were fighting for slavery now maybe i guess this this scene kind of illustrates that maybe some of them were being manipulated by rich and smarter men in the south 
who who may have been slave owners, but um, it's it just shows that there were different perspectives of the war um, during that time, and um, well, and I guess one well, last thing I'll say. Oh man, there, there's it's a lot. The book, these books are long. But last thing I'll say about Killer Angels was Robert E. Lee's view, and and um, it's Robert E. Lee's, I guess, biggest defeat. Because if he had won the Battle of Gettysburg, the the course of history might have changed, and there might be a separate Confederacy in the South today. Um, and I remember. They they recently took down uh, Robert E. Lee's statue in Richmond, and uh, Donald Trump had issued a statement saying, "If uh, that if it if that General Lee was a very good general, and if not for Gettysburg, for his one for his defeat at Gettysburg." History might have been different, and he said that uh, President Lincoln had wanted him to serve as the as the general in chief of the Union Army, as the commander of the Union Army. And he's, but because he was loyal to Virginia, he he couldn't do that. And what's interesting is, um, I remember in Gods and Generals, Virginia had not. He only succeeds the day of Virginia. Uh, he he declines Lincoln's offer the day of Link uh the day of um it secedes. So he didn't when he declined he didn't even know he didn't even truly know that they were going to secede. Virginia was going to secede, and he he joined the Virginia militia. He 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 declined. Um, the Union post because uh, and to to join the Virginia militia. Um, but anyways, in the Battle of Gettysburg, this was his this was his a uh, great defeat. And then, if he had if he had won, uh, history might have changed. I remember like <laughs> the the scene at the very beginning. He, there was a a woman from Pennsylvania who asked for his signature. And then he's just, he gives it, but he, but Robert E. Lee thinks, do you even know what I'm doing here? I'm literally invading you. But, um, he, after he dies, um, General Longstreet, General Longstreet becomes the most hated man in the South because, okay, this is, this is years, okay, years after 1870 when Robert E. Lee dies. Because he blames, he blames the defeat of um, at Gettysburg on Robert E. Lee, years after he dies, and of course people are not happy about this, and they're they're not happy that he accepted a a, a federal position under General Grant, I mean, or now President, and like back in back when Grant became president. And in 1869, and um, yeah, he became the most hated man in the South. Well, this is 
and but during um an army of northern virginia reunion uh he he's not invited but he still shows up and president jefferson davis embraces him with a hug because i mean he wanted i guess part of it was money that that's a long street had become a republican and had the federal job that was part of it but he he believed he was just doing what was the best under the south he, he said that the southern people are conquered people and he he wanted to just work within the system or something but i mean part of it was money and part of it was his relation his he was in the same uh in the same west point class as general grant um but okay i'll now let's segue into the last full measure in which yeah grant now is introduced in the trilogy he's not really mentioned in the first two books and grant is famous for his battle like i think I don't even know if it was in the Shenandoah. It was a battle against Albert Sidney Johnston. And he, and in which Albert Sidney Johnston dies. And he, and this, uh, and, uh, this is back in, in the West. And so, um, I guess I think from what I understand, General Sherman becomes comes the leader uh, of the army of uh, the Tennessee or something or and he in in this uh, novel it talks I guess like in the background about how Sherman Sherman is friends with um, Grant and Grant Grant is Grant is promoted to lieutenant general which is the same rank as George Washington and Winfield Scott, it was a three-star general. And, but Grant Grant is, Grant is uh, put by Lincoln, and he's promoted there. And then he took, and he's, and he goes to the Battle of the Army of Virginia. And uh, the Union papers, even the Union papers, would describe him as a like a butcher because he would fight a war of attrition with with Lee. And Lee was supposed to be, you know, had a reputation of winning a lot of battles. And in the background, um, Sherman details Sherman's victory of like Atlanta, like at, at capturing Atlanta and sacking it in Georgia. And yeah, it does illustrate his cruelty and how how he destroyed the city. Sherman destroyed the city. I talked about this a little bit in in the rise and fall of the Confederate States um, when I was reviewing that. But um, it was that was in the background, Sherman, most of the time, General Sherman. And um, General Robert uh, General Grant was um, he he was kind of doing a war of attrition. Many men died on his under him and his wife 
had said, what do I tell all the widows? There's so many widows that they're, they're, they approach me. And then, and then Grant says, so I don't try not to think about it too much because every, in every war, there will be men that he commands and they will, they will die. And, um, the, uh, the, the Confederates were running out of supplies and then eventually this leads to Robert E. Lee's surrender, but it illustrates the, the, the events right before that, where, um, they, I guess, send letters to each other, Lee and Grant, and asking for, Lee asks for his terms, but doesn't outright say it was about, it was terms for, um, surrender and yeah that's what and grant was puzzled why is he doing this but but he but they eventually meet in appomattox and lee is wearing his his suit a new suit with a like his, his suit a clean suit with a red sash and a sword and his um And he's, um, and yeah, he, he meets Grant and Grant asks, do you remember me? I was in, I was a captain in Mexico. And then he said, no, I don't. And then, and then Lee says, okay, let's skip, skip the small talk. Let's give me your terms. And then they, he writes out his terms. And then Lee, Lee asks, will the cavalry be able to keep their, keep their animals Many of these are personal animals, and and Grant said, uh, under the these terms, no, not not right now. But I, but any animal. But then later, he says, any animal that can be claimed, uh, that is claimed, will be theirs. Will be like because the, the Lee had asked him for to let them keep their animals, the the cavalry to keep their private animals, like the the horses, because uh, it would be. Because they would need it for, for when they go back to their farms. And these were private animals, right? These didn't belong to the Confederate Army. And then Grant assured him that they that he they would. And the thing about Grant is that he he did have deep respect for General Robert E. Lee. And then, in his mind, at least, he said, um, "You do not men do not create honor. Honor creates you." And he says he sees that he he sees and when he sees Robert Ely he 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 understands immediately why they, the the Confederate soldiers would fight and die for him because you know he was a a gentleman and he he fought for what he believed in and I guess I should mention before I go, going on uh, when um, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. He um, well, he was wounded during the Battle of Gettysburg, but then he's he's well, no, not the Battle of Gettysburg. I don't remember what he was wounded in, but he he was wounded under under Grant, and then Grant thinks he's dead, so he promotes him to Brigadier General, and he didn't even and he receives he he. I mean, he's honored. Chamberlain was honored, but he kind of feels bad because he, he because Grant 
apparently never promotes someone on the field. So he believed he believed Grant promoted him because he he believed he was dead. But uh, yeah, there there was also some fighting by Chamberlain, and at this point, his I think his his brother had become a captain. Uh, but um. What else can I say? Um, the last full measure. It's it's not it's not gonna get a movie. I don't think it's. But um. Grant um. It um, after the surrender at Appomattox. Grant is uh. Well, it also shows I guess conversations with between Lee and Davis and. Well, before the the poor Appomattox and and also Grant and Lincoln and Davis made made Lee general in chief of the whole Confederate army because um he was gaining an unpopularity and he had to do the and he was before this he was trying to micromanage the whole army but but um. It seemed that he wasn't performing very well. Like he was trying to do so much, so many things, so, many, so much micromanagement. While as um, Lincoln, Lincoln had told Grant at the promotion at his promotion to lieutenant general that um, he would not interfere and uh, with with um, with his handling of the army. Because uh, Lincoln kept on relieving commanders, like like general his generals, including including the the popular uh, George McClellan, who would later fight, who who would later go against him in the election of eighteen sixty four and and lose. And the election was talked about he because Grant and. Lincoln were talking to each other, and they said, and Grant believed that if, if the Democrats won, they would negotiate immediate peace. In which case, the 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 Union would be lost, and that's what. But he won, and the 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 novel doesn't talk about the voter fraud there, but it does bring up how people in the army were allowed to vote and. Both the Republicans and Democrats were fine with this, and in fact, the Democrats thought that because McClellan McClellan was really popular in the army, that they support him. But uh, I don't. Uh, but the, the novel speculates that actually the army people, more, more of the army people, voted for Lincoln because they wanted to finish this war. But um, it doesn't really talk about the voter fraud, about how there were troops, like I guess, regulating the elections. In certain states, he was Lincoln was not very popular, but um, but uh, it was a close election in eighteen sixty four, and some people say it's, he won because of voter fraud, but I don't know the details. So, um, um, at the end of the novel. The epilogue, I guess, it talks about what the what happened to each of the three men. Like, I mean, because it focused on three men, if, if gods and generals, 
focused on four men like um, Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, and Winfield Hancock. Hancock's. Then uh, this novel, this uh, the sequel by Jeff Shara would be about um, three men. Uh, Ulysses Grant, Robert E. Lee, and Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. So it talks about the three of them, what happened. So after the war, uh, Lee dies in 1870, like, through the heart failure. He was, he was res- responsible for, like, he was, like, the president of Washington University, which would later be named Washington Lee University. And his, I think his, his one of his sons would succeed him as president. Of the university, and um, the newspapers asked him for his side of the story, but he wouldn't give it because his side of the story would be considered um, like the true side of the story, and it wouldn't be reconciliation between the North and the South that way. And he dies of like heart failure in eighteen seventy, and uh, Grant. Grant dies of, I think, cancer of the throat. And it ta- it shows a scene of him and Mark Twain, who was, who, who, um, that was Mark Twain, you know, the famous author, but his, um, he had a real legal name, which, which wasn't Mark Twain, I forgot, but they developed a relationship and they, he, they were writing a book together, like Grant's memoirs. And it was, and Twain told him to focus on the war because, no one wants to hear about his corrupt presidency. Eight years of eight years of corruption that happened under Grant. And um and Chamberlain, he dies before the fiftieth anniversary reunion of the Battle of Gettysburg. And then not long after that you would have an assassination in Europe, which would spark World War One. But um he was he was in he was visiting the fields of Gettysburg before he before he died in his eighties and yeah there were a lot of men who a lot of Confederates and Union soldiers who who survived and saw some even saw action in the Spanish American War some and other and others would live to see the uh, World War One, but um, okay. I'm, I guess I'm gonna now move on to my uh, my view as a Canadian. Um, well, um, there's this quote. I'm not sure if it's real by Samuel Chase, the Chief Justice of the United States, appointed by Lincoln, who said uh, that states' rights had died at Appomattox. Because that's where Robert E. Lee surrendered. And that wasn't the end of the war. Because there were those... Uh, because Jefferson Davis and others wanted to still keep fighting. Um, including Richard Taylor, the, who was a Confederate general. He was the son of Zachary Taylor. And this was what um, Grant had told Lincoln after the war. But, he's, but Lincoln actually... In, at least in this novel, says that he wouldn't have, he wouldn't want to capture Davis 
um, because he wouldn't want to make and have him executed for treason because he wouldn't want to have him of to make him a martyr. He does get captured though, Davis, and so does Stevens. But Stevens is released earlier. Like they captured around the same time, and Davis is imprisoned in at Fort Monroe for two two years. But yeah, Andrew Johnson certainly didn't want to prosecute him. Um, Andrew Johnson was in was a senator like Davis, like before the war. And I, I talked about how they in their debate near the end, right before Davis leaves, um, Johnson asks tells him, Why are you leaving? We have a majority in the Senate. We can block Lincoln's appointments. Like we as in Democrats. And um but I, w- I was as I was mentioning earlier, Chase Samuel Chase had said um, that states' rights had died at Appomattox, and the Liberal MP from Great Britain, um, Lord Acton, had lamented that they that the Confederates had lost, and he said, "In states, only in states' rights had I found the p- power to." The, the only way to check the power of a central government. And that was that was lost when the uh, Confederacy lost. And Lord Acton was was famous no what had had a you know a famous friend at the, um at that time Chancellor of the Exchequer, William Gladstone, who pretended to be neutral, but it no one believed he was neutral when it came to the war. He was. He, they believed he was a Confederate sympathizer, and he had given a speech saying Jefferson Davis had created a nation, <laughs> the nation referring to the Confederate states. And that I'm thinking that was. I don't know if it's you can properly call it a nation. Listen, like I've talked about this in the in the the Confed in the rise and fall of the Confederate government. Jefferson Davis is adamant in denying that that the United States was a nation and that it obviously points to um, how it was a voluntary union of free and independent states. For, Je- for Jefferson Davis, it was about independence. Actually, it, um, the novel talks about the Hampton Roads Conference, a bit with uh, one of... Uh, there were three, three Confederates who were sent by Davis... One of them was the Assistant Secretary of War. The other one was, I think, a former United States House of Representatives speaker, and he was. And then the, and then the, the shortest one was Vice President Alexander H. Stevens, who actually was a former Whig and was friends with Lincoln, and actually kind of wanted. And at the at Georgia's Secession Convention, he actually argued in favor of staying in. In um, the Union, partly because of the uh, fugitive slave cause clause in the Constitution, and and he believed that slavery was better protected in the Union. But yeah, it talks about and how Link- Lincoln had told told uh, Stevens that um, we can put off 
um, slavery for decades to come to this issue, as long as you come back into the Union. But Stevens kind of was sympathetic to that idea, but he knew that Jefferson Davis would not agree to that. Jefferson Davis wanted independence. But um, I, I also remember um, reading recently um, this, uh, this blog post on the Abbeville Institute. I don't remember the full name, but it was Ask a Canadian. And it talked about uh, John A. MacDonald's view on the, the nature of the United States. And he said that, um, that I, you know, like John A. MacDonald, actually favor, favor a legislative union as in a unitary state rather than a, a federal union. But um, we have a completely different culture and language and other differences from Lower Canada, which would become Quebec. So that's why we have a, that's why we're going to have a federal union talking about um, you know, the establishment of Canada and the, the dominion of Canada. And, in, um, and there were constitutional talks in Charlottetown in 1864, but sorry, that's Quebec City in 1864. And then it was finalized in uh, J July 1st, 1867 in Charlottetown. Uh, the, the British North America Act, which established the, the Dominion of Canada. Now, um, look, the, the war, the, the, the people at the convention, most of them, seem to be centralizers, like MacDonald. But um, they did still need see the, the need for federalism, especially because Lower Canada, which, was, which would be Quebec, was very different, like at least linguistically and culturally, like culturally as in Catholic. Well, well, Upper Canada, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick were more Protestant, and there were some other dif differences. But um, um, they, there's a reason why there were. It's a federation. Canada is a federation, and even though they saw that, they they believed that states' rights was the reason for the war in the in in America they um they still believed it was important to have a federation rather than a unitary state I mean if McDonald really really had his way they would be a unitary state from sea to sea you know what I mean all the way to British Columbia one central government supreme in everything but it's good that we don't have that now I know that there's there's a secessionist movement in in um, Alberta, Paul Hinman, leader of the Wild Rose Independence Party, is pushing for secession. And, you know, he's saying, yeah, Jason Kenney, he, he believes Jason Kenney, the premier of Alberta, is, uh, is, is, so, is pro, very pro-federalist and then that he was going, that he's looking for another federal job in the future. Um, and also, yeah, um, Paul Hinman's against vaccine passports. So I am, you know, I kind of like him more than kind of like that. That that certainly understates my view. But obviously the people of Alberta are, are, should decide um, 
their destiny. I, I believe in right to self-determination, right? I'm obviously, if, if I'm going to call this Canadian meets the South, I obviously believe in states' rights. And it's not merely a Southern principle. It's just that um, it, the, the principle of states' rights is strongest in the South. So, um, yeah, that's my view. And, uh, and yeah, um, obviously there was, um, the New England was, um, asserting states' rights during the Battle of 1812, the, the War of 1812, and Connecticut, the Connecticut legislature had written that Connecticut was a free, sovereign, and independent state, and it was defying the Madison administration and the federal government. But, um, I mean, that's, um, but like this, um, the last full measure, um, and the killer angels, like this war, at least in the killer angels, he's saying that it wasn't completely about states' rights and sure, um, at least like one of, one of, um, the thoughts by one of the men, I don't remember which, but it was. The war was essentially one side, the Union, was invading the southern side, the, the Confederacy, because uh, they believed the Union, they believed that the Union was was separate and indivisible. They, they the northern people, like, there was this, um, there's this debate with, that Daniel Webster had with Robert C. Hayne of South Carolina, Carolina and Daniel Webster had said that unity in one or something like liberty and is like some some collectivist slogan about how the union the union is indivisible and oh I guess this later led to to um one nation under God but being pushed by Francis Bellamy, the social the socialist minister who authored the uh, the oath of allegiance, but I mean that's another topic for another time. Um, I guess I'm I'm cheering I guess for Alberta for like the Alberta independence movement to be strong because we we need in Canada decentralization just just like in the United States now the federal government is the is really big in the United States as well but at least you have strong men who are like fighting the federal government like Florida's Ron DeSantis well and I guess Christy Nome in South Dakota and Greg Abbott in Texas they're they're fighting for you know the independence of their state against a, an oppressive federal government, like such as like Joe, like Joe Biden issuing like like pushing forward a, a vaccine mandate for corporations with over a hundred employees through OSHA, which I don't remember what it's it's a which it's like this occupational health and safety administration, but um. Yeah, I, we, both Canada and the United States need, need to further decentralize their federa federations. It's, it's, it's my view. 
because I believe in the right to self-determination. And this is the right that, that the American founding generation fought for. But anyway, that's, that's my review of The Killer Angels by Michael Shara and The Last Full Measure by Jeff Shara. I, uh, I hope you look, I hope you continue watching these videos or listening on anchor.fm or wherever you listen to, listen to this podcast. Thanks and bye for now.